Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. Activate interlock. Dynatherms connected. Infracells up. Mega thrusters are go! I feel like we should be playing the theme of Thunderbirds here. It's Voltron. It's Voltron. All right. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. This is Amber. Welcome to the TriTech Games Podcast. Your podcast of having an amazing time in an adventure you've never done before. This week, we are exploring adventures that we've never been on before. You know, we all know that the games that we play have lots of tropes involved in them. And so a lot of times, playing the game can get a little bit formulaic and a little bit predictable. So what we want to do is we want to jazz it up. We want to say, hey, this is Bureau 13, but this is the kind of adventure you're doing, and this is really going to be fun because... Not only is it a good adventure, but it's got a twist in it that you've never done before. You have joined the most secret government agency that you have never heard of. The 13th Bureau of Justice, otherwise known as Bureau 13. You are a government agent charged with the duty of disposing of the greatest unnatural threats to the people and the, and the economy of the United States and Canada. You will work under the knowledge that you are funded by an organization so secret, even the highest government officials do not know of your existence. Welcome to the elite band of people who wander the dark streets of the night, ever searching for the horrors that should not exist in this modern age. You are a special agent, stalking the night fantastic. Bureau 13 is a Gen Con award-winning RPG of modern horror and paranormal adventure. Is available from Tritag Games at TritagGames.com in both the original editions and in the D20 edition, with a new Savage Worlds edition coming soon. Remember that wherever the supernatural waits, good and evil, the agents of Bureau 13 will be there. But the evil is growing. Blix, you said you had a lot of great ideas. Hit us with your best shot. All right, so I just uh, talking about this. It just hit me that one of the aspects that we haven't mentioned that, that this plays into really well, especially if you want to you want to do something a little different and like a really good adventure. Is you take some of these ideas and you can develop them for a solo character. So let's say you got your gaming group that you get together on a you know let's say Friday night you get together every Friday night, but it's only two of you can get together. So you got the game master and one other person. A lot of times they'll cancel a game, you know, because, well, we only got one person, so we can't do it. But it might be a good opportunity for you to go, hey, I got this really great idea I've been wanting to run, and I've needed a night when it's only one person. You know, some of these things might work out better where you don't have to account for the whole party. It's a one-person kind of adventure. If you were to have to escort for some kind of diplomatic reason, like somebody out of your totally out of your comfort zone. Like, for example... Let's say um, some vampire 
chick is high up. You know, she's some kind of princess or something like that, or queen, or I don't know, whatever baron or whatever, whatever you're. And we haven't staked her yet. Maybe she's working nice with the bureau. Maybe they have a some kind of deal or something. Uh, and she's going to a bar, or she's going to a, a, like some kind of party or something. But she wants to make the other guests uncomfortable. And she's very, you know, she's friendly with the bureau. She works with them or something to that effect. She's taking a shine to your character. And she wants to take your character as her escort. And as an ambassadorial type move, uh, the bureau says, yeah, yeah, you should go with her. Show her a good time. Be careful, you know, or or go and collect any information you can get because you'll be under her protection. This will be an opportunity for you to get an inside scoop. You're having to try and stay alive because where she can protect you, you know, of course, she's probably not super all powerful. And if you step in the wrong room when you're not around her, somebody might try and get you anyway. That can make for, you know, kind of a neat adventure. That's where you wear the stainless steel neck guard. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. I, I just said vampire. I'm just, I was just throwing it out there. It could be any. It could be like a, a werewolf clan. The, the princess from the Shandar conglomerate in space are coming down. And, you know, and she'll assume human form. But, you know, sometimes she might let it slip. So, yeah. You met her before. She was a fun chick. Despite the fact that their species has three, three sexes. But still, she was a fun date last time you met her. Or maybe, you know, one of the aliens from a galaxy quest, you know, looks human normally, but you know, oh, that's not right. (laughs) That's a kind of a different adventure you could run that could be a lot of fun. Oh, so wrong, but oh, so right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. One of the other adventure ideas I came up with that was I thought would be kind of neat for a bureau agent is maybe um, let's say your party screws up, put on some kind of detail. They say, all right, we're running low on Banes. We want you to go and collect some Banes. And, of course, these are going to be in some kind of remote location that's going to be difficult. You know, and it might just be one of these things where you have to navigate the environment and people and language barriers and stuff. And as part of the punishment, uh, the Bureau is not giving you any real support. They just send you out there, you know, go get, go collect some Wolvesbane. But the only Wolvesbane is, you know, let's say it, it only grows north of the, the Arctic Circle or something. I don't know, something goofy like that. Or or it has to be done under specific circumstances to be useful as a Bane. Like, oh, so you have to collect wolf, Wolvesbane. You, you'll need a silver scythe. Yeah, okay. You need to do it at midnight. You need to be a virgin. And it has to be a full moon. Yeah. And not only that, but of course the werewolves don't want you collecting that. Oh, no, no. So you could throw that in. And that's a different kind of adventure, you know. That's, that's not, your, your typical, uh, not your typical adventure, but could be a lot of fun. One of the things that I've always wanted to do, and I've never done it, is actually be in a Bureau 13 adventure where you ended up in a real space opera. Incursion is in the Bureau 13 universe, but we almost never have adventures where we're pulling out the blasters and we're going against the bug-eyed monsters in, in Bureau 13. I mean, it just isn't done because we're saying, well, no, we're, we're doing the supernatural and we're doing magic and we can have a few bits of technology in it, but we really can't do that whole space opera thing. I'd like someone to say, hey, you know, the aliens have landed and we're on the ship and we've got to stop them before they destroy the Earth and get to do the whole walk, the space walk across the outside of the spacecraft while we're dodging the Van Allen belt or whatever. Uh, that's something I'd like to happen in an adventure because I haven't seen it in a Bureau 13 scenario. Yeah. Actually, I think we should probably think about for a, a future incursion ep- uh, episode, cause especially when the Canadians come back with their spaceship. Now we don't have to worry about lying about aliens anymore. Unless the men in black put a stop to that. 
if a Canadian spaceship comes in, lands in Ottawa, right in front of the Parliament, they have a hard time putting a, a stop to that. Right, if they uh, let them get that far. See, that's the thing, is everyone always sees this alien spacecraft landing in the middle of somewhere as if we don't have, you know, a, a vast array of anti-aircraft-type devices. Some kind of a missile beweaponed a high altitude attack plane that fires at targets at a five to 10 mile distance. And the spaceship comes in, it looks like a submarine, but on the radar, it looks like a slow moving cruise missile. Well, hey, <laughs> they're going to fire on it with some nukes and they're going to solve that little problem and it's never going to get to Earth. Yeah, the idea of, of having an alien spacecraft land on your lawn kind of presumes the fact there's nothing going to stop them from doing that. You have an organization like Bureau 13 and the involvement of the men in black, I, I really can see between the two of them, it's, that's going to be a hard hoed row. But the Ardana knew snuck into Earth many times and never got caught once because they turned on the stealth devices and the stealth, are, stealth is better than anything we, that we have to detect it with. The operational word, John, is they snuck in and they landed yeah. in some obscure place. They didn't yeah. try to go for the White House lawn that's got, like, how many flyovers a second? Yeah. I, I basically told, When I ran the game, I told, okay, you're, you know, you're, 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 you're going to play a Billy Bob or you're going to play some, uh, uh, you know, some guy who races pot out in the middle of the National Forest. Because these are the only people I can think of that are far away from civilization for aliens to abduct. So I actually had a pothead, I had a uh, Billy Bob, I had you know all sorts of weird you know backwoodsman type people on the on the on New incursion. That was interesting. How about time travel adventures that are not in the Jurassic period? <laughs> okay, so the most successful time travel adventures I ever had. I had a, in fact a whole campaign having to do with it. The part that they liked the most was when we sent them back to the nineteen hundred, the, the almost pre-1900s, and we plopped them into a Bureau 13 Adventures in the middle of Chinatown. Okay. Because you had the whole Wild West, you know, the early tech kind of thing, but you then you had all the, the Chinese mythology going at the same time. So it wasn't China mythology in China. It was China mythology in the Wild West. And that seemed to be a really good frisson for the players. They really seemed to like that juxtaposition. Time travel back to last week. Okay, what did we do last week? Well, last time you did this and this. You turn on the time machine, and now you're back in the past. And you're also still back in the past. you got to spend a week and try not to run into yourselves. Go on vacation. Yeah, go on vacation and stuff like that. Except you still have all your bureau identification and all that stuff. So you, now you got to do we dump this? Do we hide it someplace the bureau's tracking us too so now, now, now they're getting two signals for each person well the bureau isn't dumb yeah i would assume that there would be trackers and mm -hmm. there would be some indication that at eight o'clock you suddenly disappeared and then there's another a second track back at six o'clock yeah, you know, as your track showing up and going, okay, when does this happen? We don't know, but uh, talk to one of the clairvoyants or the uh, psychics. They might know. If you start suddenly showing up two signals, they're going to figure something is up. And then when one of the them disappear and you return back to your race and say, yeah, we kind of jumped into the past. Yeah, well, I, I think there's probably rules about that, too. 
I would imagine that they'd probably just keep an eye on you and make sure that the two signals don't get near each other. I would think they would want to take the uh, take both of you and put you in isolation because there's two of you that basically screams the doppelganger test. Yeah, but if it is time travel, they don't they don't want to grab one of you because if they do, then it'll change the future. He's not the real Pinky. I'm the real Pinky. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you could foreshadow it in the previous adventure by saying, you you think you saw your van. What? Yeah, it was parked over there. You go, and there's your van. Okay, why is our van parked here? We parked it someplace else. So they get in the van and drive off, not realizing it's a van from the future. You know, and then, of course, then you go, oh, that's what happened. We parked it here. So I know where the van is really is, and they go to where the where the, where the past van is, and pick it up so no one, no one hauls it off and various things like that. You you toss it those little. You, you, it does require a lot of index cards and making sure you 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 don't let them actually catch sight of your until the very last second. You know. Oh, that sounds uh, like you, a nightmare to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a good enough memory for that. Almost all games usually have all kinds of canon in them. They have all mm-hmm. kinds of events that are part of the backstory and stuff like that. So when you do these time travel type adventures, one of the things you can do is you can actually go back to these really important points and you can make these characters deeply involved in those situations. Let's say the Massacre of 77. We've never really explained what the Massacre of 77 is. I mean, I've talked to Richard about it. He's agreed to me what the Massacre 77 really was. Though, of course, if he ever was to say what it was, he'd probably be totally different than what we talked about. Yeah. <laughs> that's just the way he goes. But the point is, is that when you do that, uh, and, and I think it's true in all time travel types of adventures, you have to look at the players and you have to say, okay, you're in a situation that's pivotal to the storyline of Bureau 13 or whatever game you're playing. So you know how it has to end up. It's up to you to make it end up that way. Otherwise, I'm taking this game to its logical conclusion. It's going to be a whole different campaign or whatever. And what you do is you take them out of the puzzle box, which is a term they use in most of the adventures that they have inside of TV shows where you start off with somebody dying who's a main character and then by the end of the episode, you have to show that, oh, they didn't really die or they, they got free so you could reset everything back the way it was. It's, it's called the puzzle box, and it's really a very tired trope inside of television. And you don't want to do that because, every, because that really is a scenario that everybody's done before. It was all a dream. Yeah, you don't ever want to do that. I say, if you want it to be interesting. So what I'm saying is that I think we uh, one of the things that you can do that will be really fresh is to take them back to these important points in your game's history and make them part of that, an important part of that, but let them know that if they don't conclude it in a fashion that allows the campaign to continue the way it would have – you know, the way history says it should have, then 
that's just the way it is. We're going to run the campaign from that way, and everything and everything is going to be different. You're going to be in a different future, a different whatever. You go back to the in, in somebody steps on the 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 uh, butterfly. That's just the way it's going to be. The future is going to be different. There was an episode of DS9 where uh, Cisco and the group went back in time to I think it was the late 21st century where there were like food riots, and there was a guy named Gabriel Bell. He was pivotal to later the Federation forming and all that. And, you know, like, I think he was pre-Zeprim Cochran. Somehow, due to the crew of DS9 going back in time, Gabriel Bell died. Cisco had to become Gabriel Bell, and even then, as he, they get back, he's sitting there looking at his uh, computer files, and he brought up Gabriel Bell, and it's him dressed as Bell, and he goes... I know that the Temporal Bureau is going to have a lot of questions for me. <laughs> you don't necessarily have to go back in your physical body. So we're thinking of the old TV series Quantum Leap. You go back and say you go back and you've taken the place of the team that took down the demon on Wall Street. Only there's not much information about what happened and where he was. And now you're that team. And now you got to figure, okay, uh, this is what, 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 what day is it? 1929? Oh, dear. <laughs> if you don't take down that demon, there's not going to be a crash on Wall Street. There's not going to be the reclamation. Uh, you're not going to get the Democratic Party creating all those work projects. You know, yeah. uh, you're not going to have Social Security come into existence. You're going to majorly change the future. You're going to have to make sure that you kill that demon so that the Great Depression will come in all that misery. That's your yeah. job. And you find out along the way that if you don't take the demon down, his plan is actually to raise things up to the point that when the crash does happen, it will destroy United, destroy America and destroy a good portion of the world economy. That's something that you got to sit there and really do a lot of historical research and a lot of um, supposition because you got to sit there and say, okay, if this event does not happen, what would be the most logical path that history would take? And you got to take into all the permutations of, okay, because this didn't happen, this didn't happen, because this didn't happen, this didn't happen. I'll use the fringe for the example of the Coptic. I had to figure out where that history diverted from. And so I had to figure, okay, because this didn't happen, this and A, B, C, D, E, F, G all went a different route because of one pivotal event. You got to do that if you're going to do a time travel where if the players do fail, okay, how am I going to run this game world now? And that's a, that's a big planning session for the GM to do. You can kind of avoid some of that. Like uh, you're talking about the Massacre of 77, right? Or the crash of Wall Street definitely require a lot of research. Well, I'm saying, but you don't have to do all this research. You could create, like, the, what we're saying, the crisis of 77, right? We don't know a whole lot about that. But let's say your characters know that whoever's running the Bureau at that time was saved by a handful of agents. And because he was saved, it allowed the Bureau to carry on. And without, you know, if he had died, the Bureau might not be what it is today because he had a lot of the secrets that only he knew or whatever, something like that. The, the massacre's going on, and you wind up in the middle of it. You realize, hey, wait a minute, we're the guys that's supposed to save him. And then there's your adventure. You know what your you know what the adventure is. You already know basically what's going to happen. You just don't know the details, and you don't know how to save him because there's really no records uh, of how that happened. You know the end result. You know what you need to do, 
You just don't know how you need to do it or when you need to be where exactly. You could run that. And you don't need to know a whole lot about. I mean, you might do a little research on the seventies. You could you could go back to our series on the seventies. Oh yeah, <laughs> and uh, and listen to that. <laughs> but uh, that that'd be actually a good way. That'd be a a good thing to do. You know, go listen to our seventies episodes and then uh, run that. That'd be a great adventure. Or if you are looking to do something like you know the the Wall Street crash of nineteen twenty nine, I imagine someone's done research and said, okay, it was this stock sale that caused it, or at least it was these stocks here. You can go, okay, is these, it's these people we need to, I, I actually give, give these players a real name to go after. It's one of these people, if you take them down, boom, the stock, the stock market crashes. Maybe what the demon is doing, he's getting stock picks to a select group of people, and he's making sure that they, you know, they're, they're blowing up the bubble. I mean, it really was a bubble economy. So basically... Because how they regard demons and devils in D20 wouldn't be insider training, it'd be outsider training. Yeah. <laughs> ah, yeah. <clears throat> there we go. Okay. Yeah. And, and the demon's main goal is, like I said, is to blow the bubble up as big as possible. To get, to make, so when it does pop, it makes a really big crash and does a lot of economic damage to, to the world. And it caused a lot more suffering than what the Great Depression caused. I don't know if it was you, John, or it was Blick. You had mentioned about, uh, you know, you could have an adventure where you are substituted into somebody else's body. Oh, that, that, that was we talking about doing the quantum leap thing. Where right, I, right. Okay. What you can do in Bureau 13 to make things interesting is to, to use that technique in going into, let's say, an alternate reality where the laws of physics uh, are different. So, for example, you could find out as a result of this that you are now – an intelligence soap bubble in an intelligence sub soap bubble culture and world or flatland where you have to deal with the strange physics of those. And in addition to actually trying to solve the adventure, you're also again trying to deal with this altered reality state in which you are yourself in that poses its own limitations. Yeah. If you're talking about switching, uh, then you can do the other fan favorite, which I don't see it very often because most people don't do it. That is, you get captured by somebody, or you push the button, or whatever, and you know there's a big flash of light, and everything looks normal until you realize you're looking at yourself. And then you look down and realize this is not my body. <laughs> so of course you put the athlete in the couch potato. You put the couch potato in the athlete. They don't have the skills to use those bodies wisely. You know that that would make a neat adventure is if if you had like some kind of personality bomb go off or, or like they're trying to capture a psychic and he and uh, uh, he nails him with some kind of uh, like yeah like some kind of personality bomb or something where you tell everybody all right uh, go around the table in a clockwise fashion and hand the person next to you your character now you play your character as if you were you right but these are your stats and skills and that's what you that's what you have. I would say you keep your skills, but you now have different stick. No, 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 no. Uh, yeah. Now, because there's there's the whole muscle memory thing and stuff, and plus it's no fun if you keep your skills. That that's no, you you sw- you swap characters, and because that's what would be fun. That would be the the more fun thing to do. I would see. I'd be the the rules lawyer, the table thing, but I still keep my mental skills. They, they shouldn't go away. It's magic. You don't get them. You're playing someone else's character, but with the same personality as the character you played. And so Mr. Milktoast becomes Mr. Brave Guy. Mr. Shrinking Violet becomes, you know, the femme fatale. 
you could do that. I mean, that's what you're saying, Bruce. In other words, you're not you're not actually switching personalities. You're switching. You are switching personalities. Well, you're switching personalities, but you're not switching souls so much. Yeah, you're not switching skills. You're not switching stats. So. Okay, so you're still Jennifer, but now you act like Mark. If we're looking at the fate system, all of those traits that belong to your character before, you just move over to a new character. Okay, I, I get that. That that would probably be better because that would satisfy someone like John. I don't yeah. necessarily agree with that. Let's go back in time a little, little while. I used to be a dancer. I used to be really, really nimble and could do all those dance things before I broke my ankle and stuff, right? Well, if someone like John and I switch bodies, you're saying that I would still be able to be that nimble and that flexible and that athletically capable in his body? John was talking mental skills. Yeah, so your mental skills would swap over. Your mental stack, stats would switch over, but the physical skills stay the same. That's way too much bookkeeping and, and not very much fun. I like Bruce's idea. Let's say I'm playing, I switched myself with my wife. All of a sudden, I can't program a computer to save my life. However, I know everything there is to know about Farscape and the Wheel of Time and, well, okay, let's say True Blood. All those things, the Sookie Stackhouse and all those things, okay? Those things are crystal clear to me, and I can interact with people who love that sort of thing for hours because it's just what I'm totally into. And she, on the other hand, now suddenly can, you know, you know, can write a program, but she can't do any of those things. But she still has the same personality that she had before, but in my body. So she's a lot more outgoing than I am. She's a lot better talking to people than I am. She doesn't say inappropriate things at family gatherings, which apparently I always do. What I was saying was, like, you were saying do the mixture thing. So in other words, it would, it would be you. So in other words, it would still be Bruce, and he could still yeah. program, except he becomes really outgoing. Right. And, and, and flirtatious and, and whatever. I mean, all the other qualities that your wife has that you don't. Same thing, as we said, with the fate system, where you just basically move all the attributes. If you were a Lothario and you, you move those attributes over to another character, that character then becomes a Lothario. You're somebody else. You may be the uh, mechanic geek. You know, you're the, you know, uh, don't tell me the odds. And suddenly you're the person who's all risk taking when before you were the methodical. I, I'll, I'll never, you know, do something like that unless I have all the things worked out. You're suddenly jumping. And it's, Let's, what are we waiting for? Let's go do it. And if you're the team leader, that can be a big change the way you run your adventures. You do trade uh, character sheets, but you still have all your mental skills, but you also have access to tap their mental skills. You know, you're in their body, then the memory's still there. You just say, you know, okay, I can, I, can, I can remember how to program, but I know how to crochet. Okay, John, I, I understand that you want to keep the mental skills thing. Problem is, unless you're an advanced gamer... That's going to be a lot of bookkeeping and a lot of mental juggling that the players are going to have to do. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, man, that's a, that's a nightmare. Yeah, and you've also just stepped on everybody else's spotlight. Yeah, for ease of all the players and their sanity, I would say the mental skills don't keep. What's on that character sheet is what you could do now for the course of the adventure. I understand you want to do the mental skills, and if, for you it makes sense. But it would be a pain in the in the rear to to juggle all that. 
maybe isn't that you that you switched bodies. Maybe you didn't switch bodies. You just switched personalities. That's all he did to you is is, is swap out your personalities, which I can see being really fun. I mean, let's say you're playing. Uh, let's let's take the Scooby Gang, okay? You know the actual the Scoobies. You know you got Velma acting like Shaggy, but she has, still has all the skills and everything that Velma has. But now she's like. Man, I really want a cheese sandwich, you know. <laughs> and, and Shaggy, Shaggy being the smart character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 not Shaggy. Scooby. Velma goes into Scooby. Oh, there you go. Right. right. <laughs> but but the, point, <laughs> the point here is that we have all played games where you watch somebody else do something and it's killing you. Because you're like, oh man, if I had your character, I would be doing this and I would be doing that. Here's your chance. Yeah, you could be showing other players. I'll give you an opportunity uh, to show other players like tricks that they hadn't, you know, they may not have thought of that you've you've seen. And you can only you, maybe you only see them because you're an outsider and you say, why why aren't you doing this? You know, and you could show them and they'd be like, you know, next time you play, you might be like, damn, I'm gonna try that trick that you figured out with my character because I never thought of doing that. Yeah. The best example I saw of this in comics was when the Frost Queen, Emma, takes over Iceman's body. And all of a sudden, she's using his powers to do all kinds of things that he's never even thought about doing. And she finally gives his body back and saying, you, you're wasting your talent. <laughs> what are you doing over there? I was twice the Iceman you ever were. And he gets to walk off mumbling, well, I'm Iceman, I'm Iceman. <laughs> No, unfortunately, what, what caused me to think of that, of course, uh, if, for those of you who are my age, is a certain episode of Gilligan's Island. Ah, uh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> well, and, and, and to give a more recent example, I've read the comic books of Tony Stark and Iron Man for years. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. plays Iron Man so much more fun than I ever saw it written in Iron Man comic books. I mean... I love the way they've changed him in the movies. I, I think that's a yeah. great new take on Iron Man. It's so much more flamboyant than mm-hmm. he ever was before. And he, really, Iron Man, I mean, all his powers just scream be flamboyant, and he never was. They did Robert Downey Jr. because Tony Stark was, I mean, and, and I think they started this in the 70s. He They brought in that he was an alcoholic, and of course Robert Downey Jr. has had his own problems with substance abuse that's that and i i do like that they played him flamboyantly and cocky and just you know off the cuff yeah i've got millions of dollars i'm smart let's see you get you get a person who's a millionaire and flamboyant to play a flamboyant millionaire well that too but i i I think that works yeah (laughs) i think they did it more because of the substance abuse yeah. Yeah. It was a typecasting when he did that. Like imitating yeah. art, so to speak. Twice, <laughs> right. Twice. But, but this is a good example of what we're talking about here, where you had a character who was defined by what they could do before. You know, Iron Man, he's the guy in the suit, and he's got the thrusters, and he's got the the rays from the palms, and and he's got the daring do. And he's, he's like that also in the new Iron Man, but he's so much more because now the, char- the, the personality has radically been changed from the way it was before. And I think that's really made a big difference. 
I think it's great the way they've done that. I'm not saying either one was bad, but I'm saying I love the fact there's such a difference between the, the, the interpretations of those characters, which is exactly what we're talking about here. I was going to say, just look at look at the, the, the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, and I don't even know who this new guy is, but the, the new guy, I think he's a better Spider-Man. I think he puts more into the character. I think he, he, he feels more like Spider-Man. It's just personality, and, and that can go a long way. You know, when when you're switching characters around, you know your players at the table. You you know, you may even want to pick the people you want to switch as a game master, and pick people as diametrically opposed to one another as possible, so so that everybody can see how the character could be played differently. You know, you got your friend who's who's a little crazy. You know, does impulsive things. Make him switch with the guy who's not. Yeah, absolutely. Try to make the biggest difference between the, the aspects of the character or the people who are playing them to bring out these radical differences in the representations of these characters. That'll make the game especially fun. Okay. Well, does anybody have any other things to add to the uh, to the different adventures? These not big grandiose adventures. These are I call slice of life adventures. What you do between the you know saving the world again. Uh, adventures. Uh, actually, a good example is in the is in the D twenty book. It's you know Sylvester gets lucky. Basically, it's you know the one character trying to hunt down Sylvester the Mummy, and where he's gone, and he basically introduces all these characters and he you know connections he's got, and he basically eventually finds Sylvester at the racetrack, and he's got to bring him back, and you know, all various things like that. And it's it's I, I, I run these adventures every so often. There's nothing major happening, nothing big. The world's not going to end, but it's a way for the players to ha- to play their characters as regular people, interacting with other regular people, and solving uh, I call it mundane supernatural events. Things you know where it's it's not going to end the world. It's not going to end. It's not going to be. A, it'll just be a bad day if it, if you don't if you don't do it right. If it doesn't come off, but it's you know I would call it the mundane supernatural. You know we have an old show. I think one of our season one shows the the on vacation characters on vacation. I think this would uh, this would tie into that pretty well. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Remember we we had like you're out on the beach and and uh, you know monsters start walking up on the beach and you're out there in your speedo and like what do you do? I think that would tie into that quite well. You know, and then things like that. You know, where you have to deal with the fact there's there's local supernatural. Like I said, Chief Seattle is haunting Seattle. He's going to haunt it for you know the Salish people don't like don't want you to name places after them, and they name Seattle after Chief Seattle. And he's doomed and worn to the earth as long as someone remembers there's a Seattle. So here's a person you can run into, and you know, and he go complain barely about being stuck here, and he you know he can't go on on to the afterlife and so forth. And oh, by the way, my great great grandson is in trouble. Can you help? Right. Let's say your mom knows what you do for a living. You know, you you clued her in, or for whatever for whatever reason she has found out. A friend of hers has a poltergeist living in the house, and it's not even a dangerous poltergeist. It's just one that's slightly annoying. So you go home to visit mom, and and you get stuck trying to get rid of this poltergeist. And while the thing is not evil or terribly dangerous, he's just a real pain in the butt to figure out how to get rid of. You know, and you're running around all over town trying to follow all these stupid little clues to get rid of them. It eventually turns out to be something very minor. That could be an interesting uh, little mundane 
Her friend collects knickknacks, and one of the knickknacks is a bit of an old Irish castle, and it's a ghost from the Irish castle. He he hitched a ride on that little knickknack she took from the Irish castle. To jump through a lot of hoops to try and to get to that. Mm-hmm. And once you realize what it is, you can do two things: one, send the bit back to the Irish castle, or two, see if you can figure out why he's stuck here, and then send him on. Oh, faith in the big aura. I'm stuck here because I need to find my wife. She's in Ireland. It's nothing that you have to bring, you know, like a priest in to exercise the place. Nobody's going to get hurt. It's not going to yeah, – and if yeah. you don't solve it, it's not going to be a big deal other than your mom is going to be very upset that you couldn't help her friend out. Yeah, he keeps arrange- rearranging the furniture and moving all her stuff. Hiding her keys and stuff. Yeah, and letting the cat out. Right, there you go. <laughs> Uh, I mean, actually, there's some published adventures like that too. There's the uh, uh, what's her name, the media, the fake medium one, or the one where the guy makes a fake ghost to scare people above him. You know, these are you know they're they're not life threatening. They're just, I mean, a lot of these are gonna be one session adventures. They give you a chance to make more connections, so you uh, you have people you can go to later on, and you know, see, remember when I helped you with this? You have some specialized information that I can dig into and get and get some background history. Gives you new connections to, to the players to use in the future. Yeah, and you can only do this once in a while. You couldn't do this over and over again because this would get annoying. But you could do an honest to god Scooby Doo adventure where it turns out to be Old Man Jenkins, where there is no ghost. It's some guy trying to scare somebody into moving out of a house or something like that, and that would be kind of funny. But you got to play it up kind of serious to begin with, so the, the the players don't get an idea that you know they don't get any tells that that you're going to be pulling this on them. You got to wrap it up really cheesy. Of course, you think of these guys is like, wait a second, you can do holograms, dude. Sell that. That's going to make you more money than that treasure you you know, get out of that mine. <laughs> yeah. uh, but since the topic is we want to do things that haven't been done before, right, yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure we want to advocate this. <laughs> Well, no, no. I mean, how often have you done that, though? How often have you done, like, a cheesy Scooby-Doo adventure? Well, the fact that it's a Scooby-Doo adventure, I think it's, like, it's not an original idea. As soon as you sit there and go, oh, my God, we've been in a Scooby-Doo episode, you know. But it might be new to your group is what I'm saying. It's something you, your group, you may never have played with your group before. That's all. That's I mean, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Well, the thing about Scooby-Doo, though, is that if you've ever watched Scooby-Doo, there is one consistent thing. Throughout every single episode, every mystery has always turned out to be not magic. Whether it's a a ghoul at a school or a, a monster at the roller coaster, guy who runs the water slide. It's never supernatural. Up until recently. Yeah, they've started doing where their supernatural is actually. Yeah. Well, yeah, in the movies and in the Mystery Incorporated, they are. There's hinting at that there is an there is is an actual supernatural, but it's far bigger than any old man Jenkins trying to scare people out of town. Yeah, but what I want to know is where where do these hayseeds get these epic skills in special effects? Oh, I mean, it, it, Crystal Crowe just breeds them. I mean, it must it must be all out of work, you know, t- movie movie guys. You never know. See, what's really going on here, this is where you turn it on his head, is mm-hmm. you find out there's a whole bunch of elves or pixies or something who use glamours to make these things seem real. At the end, you find it, oh, yeah, it's Mr. Jenkins. But then you're like, but why were we ever fooled? I don't get it. 
And that's the secret that they finally have to realize that it was too good to be true. There really is something supernatural going on, and that's the mission that they then have to follow up the Scooby-Doo mission with. Oh, yeah. Like, you, you realize that, okay, what's going on here? There's a playful spirit making helping these people out. They may not know they're being helped out, but they're being helped out. And you got, and that's why when you do the do the uh, put the glasses on, you do see something supernatural. You don't, but it's not Mr. Jenkins in his costume; it's the spirit that's helping Mr. Jenkins with his costume. A lot of adventures that's favored is to go into somebody's dream uh, or go into somebody's head. Those are fairly typical ones, and so if you want to make a twist on it to make it fresh, one of the things I thought about was: is it okay? You're going into someone's dream, but they're autistic. So it's radically different than a normal person's dream. Or as they did in that episode on Star Trek with Q, where they had the Q War, it looks like it's the Civil War. When they're firing weapons at each other, they're actually firing weapons that destroy galaxies. So when someone dies, it's actually some really tremendous thing in the world beyond. So when you finish the adventure you may come back to a radically different reality than what you thought you, you, which you'd left because of the choices you'd made within that altered reality that you're in. Hmm. So you have to be very careful about what you're doing. What is that thing really? You know, the ogre, is the ogre Russia that I'm trying to kill? Or is that ogre the hurt feelings of rejection in a young girl's heart? You have to make sure that you know what it is that you're dealing with, and perhaps a lighter touch versus a heavier touch might be the way to go. There are legends where something like the hope of the world, well, actually, they, they did that in, in uh, Warehouse 13. They opened up Pandora's box, and the only thing that was left in the box after all the evil things was hope. So if you destroy Pandora's box, then there's no hope left in the world, and, and everything... Be- turns radically into bad. You have to be careful of what the representations of things that you're seeing in this alternate reality or this dream so that you don't make a bad mistake. You don't, if you go guns a blazing, like, you know, you might expect to do in a dream, that might be really the worst possible thing you could do. Sure. Remind me of the uh, movie Paprika, the anime. Have you ever seen that? It's basically where dreams start invading the real world. As well as, you know, traveling into the dream world. Someone's busy manipulating things and to, for their own ends. So, yeah, the dream world starts appearing in the real world. All these adventures we're talking about take more mm-hmm. effort from the GM. Yeah. Know, and, and that's a good thing. But when you're trying to galvanize your players and you really want them to have an exceptional adventure, you got to go the extra mile. And we've been mm-hmm. saying that from the beginning, so I don't have any re- regret in, sa- in saying that you got to do more work. Any kind of an altered reality, there are going to be rules. As I said, like an autistic person's dream, there's still going to be rules. Autistic people are a certain way, and so therefore you have to follow those rules of, of how the autistic mind works. If the, the dream world is coming into our world, there's got to be rules about that too, which the yeah. players can then deduce – and that will allow them to come to a successful conclusion if they so choose. Yeah. I'm just wondering also, this, uh, something inception-like, where the players themselves, it looks like the regular world, 
there may be some minor minor problems with it, but you may not notice it. Maybe because someone's doing an inception on the team, so you're all having a a um, a group dream, and there's people trying to get information from you, and you really don't know this until you start noticing those little problems. But of course, that goes back to our episode about: Are you in a real world or a virtual world? As long as there are lasting consequences. That's mm-hmm. fine. I just I'd say I just don't like Dallas type adventures, yeah. you know, puzzle box type adventures. I really hate them. It's my I, I mean, maybe people out there like them a lot more than I do, but I certainly don't like them. And as long as your dream sequence actually has consequences, uh, either to the characters' development, the characters' personalities as a result, or into the real world as a result, I say that's fine. Anything you can do to change things up is really going to be good. You could have people who aren't supposed to know about the Bureau suddenly knowing about the Bureau. How are you going to deal with that? As long as it doesn't change your game so much that it goes, as a GM, it goes in a direction that you and the players don't want it to go, that's fine. I have a question. Sure, Amor. If you and I switched personalities... Okay and you have knowledge of the Bureau and I don't, what I... Uh, I would, as the switched personality, have all of that information in my head. But if it gets reversed, would I retain that information? That's up to you and the GM, how he wants the adventure to end. Yeah, that's GMP out there. Let's say you learn a whole bunch of stuff, okay, about the supernatural. You have no physical evidence of the supernatural, but suddenly you now know all this stuff. Then what are you going to do? How is that going to change your character? How is that going to change the way you live your life as a character? It could cause you to go into uh, a sane asylum. There are such things in the game of, of knowledge that was never meant to be known. J.P. Withers, he's played a bunch of different ways, but the way that I've always preferred to play him is the reason he acts so crazy is not because he's insane, it's because he sees reality too clearly. And he actually takes drugs and does all kinds of crazy things to try to fog his clarity of vision. You know, actually, if you're talking about things we never run, I've actually never have run... A J.P. Weathers episode or a session. You know, no one, no, no one's ever been daft enough to call, you know, call one J.P. one eight hundred J.P. Withers. Well, then you're not giving them a problem hard enough, then, because sooner or later you got to give them something so tough that they have no thing to do but to call J.P. Withers. <laughs> Actually, I did give them a situation that instead they called uh, General McAdams instead. General McAdams is way too competent. You know, it'd be like the Superman thing where I can either solve, I can either stop the missile going for the fault line in California or I can stop the missile going to, you know, Poughkeepsie, New York, where, you know, this girl's mother lives. And so General McAdams is solving one of the problems, but there's this other problem that's just as bad. That's the one you got to get J.P. Withers to help you with. Yeah. Does General McAdams need the team's help in doing anything? No, he's in there for cleanup. Yeah, so I, I never use him except for cleanup, like you said. So, But I could really see J.P. Withers showing up and helping the team because... They're daft enough to ask for him. Well, either crazy <laughs> enough to ask for or desperate enough. And if you make your characters, your players desperate, you're doing your job as the GM in Bureau 13. Yeah. 
But you know, I, I talk to people who are seasoned Bureau 13 players, you know, and they say, "No, we don't call JP Withers. We'll solve this problem." <laughs> you know, you only need JP Withers once to appear in your life. You realize, no, we can solve this problem by ourselves. Yes, I'm dangling upside down by my feet over a pit full, a pit of lava. I can solve this problem. <laughs> Anybody have anything else that they want to talk about specifically? What about not being able to talk? Like the episode of Hush. Yeah. Okay, like, so literally, how would you your do characters it? are unable to verbally speak. I mean, they could use other methods. They could write. They could use sign language. But what if they were unable to speak? Yeah, you don't let the players talk to each other. I mean, they can write notes to each other. They can uh, do hand signals. You want them to speak to, for their actions. You know, you want them to say, I'm, I'm jumping across a cliff because you'll be waiting forever. No, yeah, you can talk to the game master, but you can't talk to the players. So anything you say would have to be something that goes from you to the game master, but not to e- any of the other players. Except, I don't know, hey, Jim, could you pass me the uh, pass me a soda? You know, <laughs> you could do that. Right, but it can't be your character talking. They do a dumb show basically to each other. Of course, then you run into the, two, the three, the two girls who learned sign language back in high school, so they could talk to each other during class. Well, that's fine if your if your character has if your character has the skill sign language on it, then the, the two of you could actually talk to one another. I think a technique that would work here is technique that was advocated in the uh, Nick Pilata novels, which is to have a whole lot of code words. For example, tuna fish means everybody shuts your eyes because I'm going to do a blinding flash. Oh. Ours was Banshee. The GM either gives you this list of code words or the, the players themselves you know, ha- have this list of code words they've been using. And from that point on, nobody is allowed to say anything without using just a code word. Hmm. Whatever they say, you have to interpret it in terms of what they want you to do in the game. They're still hushed, but they're still able to communicate without having everybody sitting there and typing, writing a zillion letters or typing a, 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 all this stuff into their IM chat boxes. It just slows the game down. <laughs> Do something like this where you're trying to conceptualize actions or concepts into word phrases and everybody has to interpret what you're, you're doing that with like expressions or hand motions then you could represent that a lot faster and more effectively, I think. I imagine the players have they had the list written down. But they go, I remember the list. So, of course, he, he totally misinterprets all the various commands. Because right. he, he's, he's not referring to the list. Because you know, memory memory's fallible. Yes. You know, so he's doing it all from memory. And, of course, he's doing the absolutely wrong things every time you give him the code word. Well, what was that? No, it wasn't that. A lot of these techniques have to do with doing things in a different way by introducing an element that is radically different than the way you've been doing in your current play style or changing the environment in some specialized way that makes a challenge different than what they're used to. When I was planning this particular podcast topic, I was really thinking we were going to be talking about, well, this is an adventure I'd like to run as a, something that people have never done that really jazz them. But as we've talked about it, it seems more like what we're talking about is changes in the way you do things away from the standard way you're doing it to make it more fresh rather than just doing a specific type of adventure. And I think that's great. It wasn't what I expected, but I like it. 
I hope you as players will look for opportunities to play your characters differently than you would normally play them to create more interest in your adventure. So even if you do the same adventure that you've done before in the same kind of adventure, even if it's a, uh, the standard, the monster kills something, go in and find the monster and kill it, you can bring in some radically new element into the game to make that adventure fresh. If you have any ideas about this that we haven't mentioned, we really hope that you will post it on the fans of the TriTech podcast or Fringeworthy and Bureau 13 Agents Everywhere fan pages on Facebook so that we can all gain the benefit of your most spectacular ideas. And if you have a really, really good idea that you really want to develop, we, uh, we're interested in, in having plot points being added to our Savage Worlds Fringeworthy and then later our Savage Worlds Bureau 13 edition of these games. And so those are things that we would like you to really think about adding in to make our next editions of these games better than they've ever been before. Thanks, everybody, for being here. Amber, great to hear from you again since the last time you, you couldn't speak. <laughs> she's still here did you drop yeah off? i'm still oh, here okay I, I i wanted to give that moment of silence all right <laughs> yeah it, it, you, it just wasn't the same when we had uh trav channeling you yeah yeah it's a bit like flutter guy yeah, i'm sorry trav i love you but you're not very good at, at channeling the inner woman i'm not embracing my inner pip yeah i know yeah We're looking forward to a lot of radically different topics this year. So thanks to everybody who's been putting all kinds of new radical topics on our Facebook page. And we're going to be definitely getting to a lot of them in the upcoming year. So thanks a lot. And we'll be seeing you next week. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game, hate the players. This is Amber. It's all fun and games until the DM rolls a one. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.